0: What's up, everyone? Thanks for tuning in. I'm Ryan Kramer, the host of Crossover Commerce. You've made it. You've made it to the right destination. You're here. I appreciate you tuning in to us live on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter. Or if you're listening to us later on, thanks for tuning in and subscribing to your favorite podcast destination and making us one of those great podcasts that you listen to on a daily basis. I appreciate that. But like I said, I'm Ryan Kerman, the host of Crossover Commerce. This is my corner of the internet where I bring you the best and brightest of the Amazon and e-commerce community. I bring it all in one to make sure that you, the listener, who are going to be listening or watching to us today are going to get something out of this. You want to learn and grow your business, your mindset, your philosophy, just your education. This is the place to be. And my focus is on the Amazon and e-commerce space, but we're also going to be diving into some of the outside factors that apply to the space. Yesterday, we talked about social media ads and just Facebook ads in general, how to build a brand, and today, I'm really excited to be talking about th- taking that brand to the next level. It's not just companies out there who are doing this. This is family. This is uh, the the quote-unquote aggregator space. We're going to be diving right into this, and again, a lot of people know there are so many out there, but we're going to dive into this family rent operations uh, awesome group. Uh, if you've never heard of them, they're actually based out of, uh, England. So they're focused on European expansion, but also brands in the United States, which I really find fascinating, the European growth of businesses and brands, but then also what that looks like on a global scale, how to build that internationally. I know a lot of brands are focused in the United States, but what's that look like on an international scale? So we can dive into that today, but before we do want to give a shout out to always, uh, Crossover Commerce is presented by Ping Pong Payments. Who's Ping Pong Payments, you might ask? Well, let me tell you. Ping Pong Payments helps brands all over the world send and receive money at a low rate, uh, helping you send money to VAs, suppliers, manufacturers, even employees at a low cost rate in their own currency. And you could do that with a Ping Pong account. Don't go to a different country and uh, fly there and open a bank account. That's a huge mess, it's a time waste. Don't do that. Use Ping Pong Payments, helping you save time money and effort, which everyone wants to do. Uh, and if you're selling in international uh, marketplaces like uh, Sam and his team are doing, uh, who are who is our guest today, you're gonna be needing a solution like Ping Pong Payments. Go and check that out later on and sign up for a Ping Pong account today, it's free to do. You can go ahead and click on that link in the show notes below, or you can go ahead and mention Crossover Commerce when you talk to one of our lovely people over in our offices. Uh, thank you Ping Pong Payments for sponsoring Crossover Commerce. That being said, this show is about not myself, but it's about my guests. I wanted to bring on one of the foremost experts in the Amazon space. He actually used to work for Amazon in that space, has a playbook that knows how to grow brands, how to grow international businesses quickly and scale them profitably as well. And he's also doing this with his brother. So it's a family affair. That's why I titled this episode, um, A Family Affair Elevating Brands to New Heights. Welcome to Crossover Commerce. Sam, Horby of, uh, I'm going to say it's awesome group. Uh, Sam is going to correct me if I'm wrong. If I butchered that, Sam, you got to let me know that. Very smooth. You did a great job. Look at that. (laughs) Well, I appreciate you hopping on today. Uh, Thanks for joining Crossover Commerce, man. Well, thanks for having me, Ryan. As I
1: said in, in my uh, my post, I've seen a lot of your your podcasts and your previous guests and yourself have amazing backgrounds. I, I don't, I'm literally, I'm in, our, I'm in our office in one of our BC groups. It's a very sort of plain white wall. So I, I should have had <laughs> a really cool sort of background behind, but I, I don't have that, unfortunately. But So I, this, rip, is the, rip, 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 yeah.
0: this is the trick, Sam. I have to keep people on their toes. I don't like people getting complacent. <laughs> and I've only done 130 something of these episodes. Yeah. So people need to see something different, some flashy. Um, I might have a different background. And a lot of people in my space, you know, they get, I mean, I I like to be visually appealing and I like to throw up uh, some of the things that excite about me and drive me on a day-to-day basis. And it's a nice, constant reminder of that. But I appreciate the kind words, like you said on your post, uh, I I like it when people reach out to me, which is what you did. You reached out and we had a conversation about this, about your philosophy on building brands and I find that so fascinating, especially in this space. Uh, it's a hot topic, if you will. We, you and I both know you, you just got an email. You were saying uh, that you couldn't go to prosper show just this morning, which is so unfortunate because it was last week. Um, but that being said, you and I were not there, but that seemed to have been from what I felt the buzzy, everyone was talking about it. I know the, the minds of like Thrasio elevate brands, uh, perch lots of money being raised happened to be announced then that's not all sunshine and rainbows obviously it's there's other companies like yourself that are just doing different things that you're kind of going maybe against the grain i would say so i'm, I'm curious your philosophy who you are why you decided to get in this crazy fast moving pace and like what what drives you and your team kind of to innovate and grow and move forward yeah cool so
1: I think, first of all, it's a bit of background to 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 myself and Ollie. So we are brothers, Ollie and I. He he's the much taller brother, I have to say. If you meet him in person, it's funny actually. Our team is mostly remote, so when I new joined, meet wow, this guy's huge. Um, but anyway, we're we're both we're both brothers. Um, essentially, we have very different skill sets. He used to work, you know, in private equity, investment banking. Um, he's very much on the kind of the, the the finance side. I'm actually I'm not a finance guy at all. And what kind of blew me away throughout the fundraising process of getting all Sam going, and also meeting a lot of the other founders in this space, like they are incredible entrepreneurs. The other founders who started you know uh, companies like ours, but typically the they come from a private equity finance background. I don't have that, and and so I, I used to work for Amazon for a couple of years in their marketplace team, um, helping basically UK European sellers sell online. Um, Covered a variety of categories, had an amazing time uh, doing so, and as a result, have you know had the privilege of seeing literally thousands of FBA businesses. Um, was the was the proud owner of my own private label brand, whilst to Amazon. So kind of went through the a lot of the processes that sellers we speak to go through. Eventually sold that. Um, and look, let me let me let me let me set the scene. I was I was in a shoebox apartment in New York, um, having a great time, uh, and then uh, coronavirus hit New York quite badly. And I was then found myself sort of confined to my, to my, literally to my bedroom uh, and, and not having a great time at all. And, and it kind of made me really reevaluate kind of what I wanted to do and kind of where I saw my strengths. Anyway, saw what was going on in the US, saw the companies that you know too well, really progressing. I thought this looks really interesting. Spoke with Ollie. We had a lot of back and forth over email. Spoke with lots of investors, had thousands of no's, despite the fact this was clearly you know, doing extremely well in the US. They just didn't like the idea at all. This was kind of more. January, February time of twit twenty twenty. Um, anyway, fast forward, met an amazing group of investors. have hired an awesome team, and here we are, as you said, based in London, uh, uh, with a team across investments, supply chain operations, uh, creative, and and yeah, we you know we, we acquire brands all over the world and 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 grow them. Uh, and so yeah, it's been an amazing journey. It's been an absolute rollercoaster. I tell you this. You know, I'm a first-time founder, right? So this is all for me—totally new, super exciting experience. Made thousands of errors, but also had tons of successes as well. So, yeah, it's been—it's been a great journey.
0: Well, thanks for telling us that. And that, thats kind of curious too, right? Is you getting into the space? You—you you recognize the opportunity, but this is just over a year ago. This is what 16 months or so that you and your brother Ollie were were throwing around this idea. Is that 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 from the outside perspective can seem both. Con- uh, this is not a negative thing concerning, but also crazy to think that all of this happens in such a condensed time frame. What's it been like to kind of put together the, the skeleton, if you will, the, the basis of this company and scale so quickly, um, at the rate of what you guys are trying to do and what you have to do, uh, to be honest and, uh, successful and to stand out from the crowd.
1: Yeah, you know, it's super challenging, right? So I think, you know, the trouble is what quite frustrates me is, you know, there are all these massive fundraisers you see. And and the reality is, you know, raising capital is so difficult. Like it's so, so challenging. There's a ton of work that goes on behind the scenes, you know, working with lawyers, with investors, with different team members. It's super tough. I think for me, you know, the challenge of, of growing and where I highly respect, Uh, other operators in the space who've been able to do this is is building a great operations team. That's not to say the other teams are not important but running Amazon brands are really really difficult. Like it's the first I told our investors like this is not easy and people sort of a lot of people are getting involved because they think it looks very easy. It's not. It's super challenging. So for me I found the biggest challenge you know hiring an amazing sort of operations team to run the brands across supply chain, across PPC, across branding that know and get Amazon really well. Um, and I think, you know, the problem is, is that this this talent's in hot demand. Lots of companies want Amazon, people who know Amazon. So you're fighting for talent. Um, and so I think, you know, the biggest challenge to me has been has been building that team. But what I think we've really done, we've been very fortunate is that, you know, as you said, I used to work for Amazon in the marketplace team. So I've managed to, you know, hire a couple of my fellow colleagues who were crazy enough to join us on this journey. Um, and, and, and as a result, you know, we've got just such... And we, our understanding of the of, of FBA rounds is so deep
0: now. I'm
1: truly. truly- so you said you work
0: on. I, I'm going to cut you off there, Sam, real quick. Uh, you said you work on the marketplace team. Like Amazon has all these different little little po- I call them pods. I, I like to think Amazon's like they don't talk to each other. And probably they do. This is my interpretation. They have all these different segments and markets that you're going to be working in. What's a marketplace team like? Describe for our listener who might be like, what's a marketplace team and on Amazon's view is that. Is that cultivating, bringing ban- brands onto Amazon? Is that just making sure that the experience is great? What, what what's that look like on that side of things? Well, I, and I think the first thing, to, so you know, in, in general, like Amazon has their consumer business. So you've got the retail business, and then you've got the marketplace
1: business. And I can't speak behalf of North America, but in the UK, you know, the team is around one hundred and thirty people. Well, when I was there, anyway, it's now even, probably even bigger. Um, and you know, and they sit across various functions, but broadly speaking, they're split by category. So you know, consumables, uh, hard lines, DIY and tools, basically the product category you're selling in. And then within that, you've got teams that re- recruit brand new sellers and bring them onto Amazon. And you've also got another team who basically nurture and grow existing sellers. And the aim of them is to then push sellers onto new products, FBA, SFP, things like this. Um, so it's it's actually a very, very small team for the size of the UK marketplace. Um, Great.
0: So yeah. So, so yeah, you, I mean, UK marketplace is uh, what we've touted on this uh, podcast and the, de- the data represents not ha- maybe but half of what the United States represents in terms of volume and uh, opportunity, but like that continues to grow and develop. It was on. It was on pace. I would say it was definitely two, maybe two A or two B right now behind Germany. If if that makes sense, I, I think that would be a fair assessment just be, based upon Brexit and and all the changes around that. And people have kind of figured out if they want to continue to grow in the UK or not. Um, we're talking about international expansion now, but uh, or in different marketplaces. Mm. That 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 to me sounds like that's that's your ticket into understanding above and beyond what these other companies might be, might be looking at in terms of if I'm a brand and I want to know that, and this is pretty prevalent on your website. I like how it's, it's our responsibility to take your brand, cultivate it and grow it and make you happy behind it. And I I think that's a, I think that's a really cool concept of trust us with something that you grow, you put your sweat equity in, and then we're going to take it and make it something that maybe you don't have the time, the money or the effort to do and we're going to make you pleased with that outcome, like take your vision and grow it. Is that that kind of the philosophy at the end of the day? It is, it is. I mean, I think,
1: look, the the thing is that, because I've done this before, like I I, I have my own brand and and I've scaled it to a a point. So I I understand what sellers are going through when it comes to this exit process. And it is so difficult to take a brand to zero to a million in turnover. I think people underappreciate how tough that is. And so when it comes to the exit, like. This is, I was, it's so stressful. It's so personal. Um, and the truth is, the only thing in your mind is, oh, are these people gonna mess it up? Like, do they actually know what they're doing? Um, and, and, and can they can they truly execute and grow on the business as, as I want them to? Um, so, you know, what we always try and say is, you know, we, we've we been through the process, so we get it. And, you know, second to that, we really, really care. Because Ryan, one of the things that I think blew, has blown me away by this space is, word of mouth is everything right people speak a lot there's a lot of conversation internally and the reality is if you are unpleasant to a seller or completely bomb a brand um it 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 makes for a challenging conversation i'm sure down the line with sellers who undoubtedly will know the business owner you spoke to i feel feel.
0: Um, right well i was gonna for you that's an interesting concept too as well because I know that there's lots of brands so there's just always this internal struggle right we've had brokers we've had private equity we've had small uh, you know small boutique uh you know smbs in terms of they'll operate and they'll just purchase outright not just brands on amazon but also SaaS, SaaS solutions also just any sort of other tech solution that they could be selling as well right. this just seems to be really the hot topic if you i say hot topic it's it's been going on for a year and a half but a lot of people maybe now have a new goal in mind, right? If they want to exit, they know that there's that capability of taking it and and turning that into something of a biggest their biggest asset into a paycheck now and, and trying it all over again. Um, the news is catching up with that. There's so much more buzz around it in terms of that regards. So what what's kind of the the positives in this space right now? Is it because a lot of people might think, oh, this is great because a lot of people can reward small smbs basically uh for their hard work they can just take that and duplicate it on a higher level Mm -hmm. what what are the pros to working with um i would call it like an aggregator or a business entity that is acquiring brands like yours
1: i think just just taking a step back from the, the aggregator point i i think what's cool about what's happened in the last year or say, you know, long 18 months, is that actually, you know, I, I think we're seeing almost a professionalization of, of the marketplace, right? You're seeing sellers get really sophisticated and the tools they use, the insights they can gather. And this has led to like a proliferation of, of kind of service agencies and offerings, that I think, didn't exist in the past. So actually, I think now, despite massive macro problems that headwinds that businesses are facing, actually, there's quite an interesting supportive ecosystem that sits above this. Um, be it around payments, awesome, returns handling, you know, customer service, uh, offshoring, like incredible infrastructure that wasn't there before. So I think actually like sellers are, it's easier now, I'm not saying it's super easy, but it's easier to really, if you want to scale your business effectively. I think you know, the, the benefit I think of working with an aggregator, well as a, twirls, as a seller, it depends on what you want in the next zone of your business and an aggregator may not be sure. perfect. Um, but I think for me, you know, what I love is that I have specialists in my team with like 20 years experience in supply chain, in 3PL forecasting, demand planning, you know, cross-border logistics. That's pretty cool. I was so bad at that when I was doing my brand. So to have someone <laughs> tell me, Sam, um, we're going to buy your brand. And by the way, our head of supply chain has worked in Shenzhen for a couple of years. He's worked with DHL for many years. Like He knows supply chain. It's pretty awesome in the same way that, you know, it's the same for creative. It's the same for PPC. Um, it gives me reassurance. Um you know, I would say the downsides, and there are always downsides, and let's, let's be honest about it. Like, you know, I think um, sellers might think their brand kind of might be like a very small fish in a big pond. Um, and they kind of, you know, would rather have their brand give it to one owner. I totally appreciate that as well. So I think it depends on what you're after. But in my view, I, I just love that, like, I have can have full confidence that I have specialist functions in my company uh, that essentially, you know, will, will, are purely focused on growing that particular part of the business.
0: So what's kind of your guys' Yeah, I say your guys, you and Ollie, when you came together, you probably had an end goal in mind, right? There's probably like, a this is, we start from nothing. We, we have to start acquiring brands from day one. Yeah. What was that conversation like with your first brand that you acquired? Was it <laughs> exciting? Was it nerve wracking? Were you a <laughs> no, was, mess?
1: Did that go co- smoothly? No, it was cool. I think look, we, he was an awesome, awesome seller. I think... You know we we're pretty honest about one like we knew how to run i i knew how to run brands so but you know we we're honest about how early we were how early we were in our journey and it was very fortuitous that actually he quite liked the fact that essentially his business would, would literally be our pure passion of focus um to, to get us going and then it was an amazing amazing learning experience um, uh through the process and he's a he, they were a great team um but no to be completely honest like yeah there's a ton that goes into the migration of an Amazon brand. I think that should be emphasised. It's quite complicated, and if you get it wrong, it can be disastrous. Um, and then there were tons of learnings about, you know, handing over PPC campaigns, supply chains, so all the all the complexity involved. So it was, to be honest, pretty 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 wild journey. But I think if you spoke to any aggregator and you asked them, you know, how was it your you know, your first five? I think that everyone would say it was a pretty steep learning curve
0: they had a bag in the corner and they were hyperventilating in the corner or something like that. So it's probably something similar concept. I know I would be, well, that's the thing. It's like, you're, you're actually, you're a salesperson at this point, right? You're, you're actually trying to acquire a business, maybe competing with 10, 20, 30 different offers. I've heard heard a lot of different brands that have really high expectations um, and that will offer either like, you know, in various capacities of like global, how you pay out, what, what that looks like and how they're selling that journey. Um, it, it sounds like that, that that the marketplace and all those conversations you're having is just almost like a salesperson, right? You're, you're trying to sell what you can do with that business, but at the end of the day, there's a paycheck tied to it. What, what's it like knowing that, I'm assuming this has happened to you, since you're handling, you're still handling like day-to-day, right? Acquisition, talking to brands, and when that you know final agreement comes in, what's it like knowing that you're, your offer isn't strong enough. You see someone come in and they offer double than what you guys and your team is doing. And you're, you're walking away and you see that brand on Amazon. Now, is there a sense of like remorse or guilt? Or is it like, it, it, I can do that to our investors or I couldn't believe that's what they offered and congratulations to the brand. But is there that sense of self-worth or like, I, I I'm trying to go on the philosophical yeah. side of things. Is it hard on you when you see somebody, win over your offer in that regards like, I, I did think, i miss something
1: yeah no no I, I think you know the first thing to say is you know I, i'm not I'm, I'm not on so much on the investment side it's more ollie side but we we both always try and uh, join uh, seller calls um it matters so much to us when we, when we speak with sellers to understand the why of why they started it and why they're exiting um it's also important because for us and i think for sellers as well this is such a personal journey that if you don't get on or i sense it's gonna be a tricky experience for both parties then i think it, you know we, we kind of need to reevaluate um for sure but but i think in general in terms of you know the, the the deal structure i mean we've had it in the past where you know an offer's come in and it is way above our offer i, I mean like not even close and you know, I have, we have a great investments team here who do a ton of modeling, uh, both on deal structuring, you know, and way more about, you know, essentially the, the forward-looking view of these brands. And I've got to be honest, right, sometimes they, they, they can't quite understand the mechanics behind the deal. Um, but, you know, we, we always think that our offers are fair. And if we really, really love a brand, you know, and, 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 we, think it's a, and we think we are the right acquirers to take that brand even further, better than other acquirers. Then you know we're happy to pay, pay above and beyond. Um, it really, it really depends. But all I hope is that if we don't win the deal, that that seller has chosen the right buyer. I just hope that's the case because we don't want us to choose the wrong one and then end up during due diligence and it's just a nightmare. It's, you know, everyone's not happy. So
0: great. Right. At the end of the day, I know everyone really needs somebody that needs they they need the capacity in terms of they need to still be profitable. Right. And I, and I like the concept when I hear from an aggregator that says, Hey, maybe we didn't raise as much as some of these other companies, but you know what, we're going to work hard at the, the brands and the businesses that we do acquire. And we're going to all of a sudden establish and make sure that they're profitable and that they're scalable in that capacity. Is there a mythology behind how much to acquire at once instead of having this, Hey, there's an offer being made and an acquisition being made every five days every week. Um, You know, I I think the stats are so misleading because that seems like a quantity play in almost throwing spaghetti at a wall and seeing what actually sticks and then letting statistics kind of work themselves out. Like, Hey, we can make it work if it's not actually profitable. That's just a, it's just a line item on our balance sheet that says that's a net loss. Uh, we'll, We'll either sell it off to another aggregator, which I'm assuming is potentially happening behind the scenes, or it's even, uh, you know, they, they iterate that brand into something even further and you're just kind of treading water at that point.
1: Yeah, no, I I, I think so. I mean, look, our, our perspective is, you know, we, we don't have a, um, it's not a volume play. We we're, we're, I, I have to be honest, we're not acquiring the volume, I think, that others are doing. But when we are acquiring, I guess, more brands that we think within our quality uh, criteria, um, purely because I think, I think, some acquirers, not all, but some might face operational challenges, perhaps in a year, six months down the line, a year when they have all of these brands. They're super challenging to run, and um, you know we, we'd rather essentially acquire slower uh, and, and choose very carefully the assets we have under management. Um, that's just that's just that's just our own that's just our own our own our own perspective. But um, no, you're right for sure. Like the, the numbers for some of these are, are incredible. I, I, I read the sort of two two three a week. Uh, so, so, which is just, which is, which is, which is amazing. Um, but, um, yeah, no, that, that's not, that's not
0: how we, we, we yeah. work. So with that being said, is it, is it safe to say that there with, with the, the sheer velocity? And I think that there this is such a cool and unique space. I always want to learn more about the mindset behind I don't think this is different than the business world, right? It would be as if I am a mom and pop store, and I have a competitor, and they are actually acquiring me because of the market that I'm I'm building. They're they're growing my customer base, or they they're acquiring my customer base. They're acquiring my marketing wherewithal, my brand assets, and then my inventory and just supply chain operation. Um, th- that just happens to transition transition over into a purely digital play. So, in that context, what what's kind of the the growth? mindset of awesome in, in your group because I know that a lot of people like to say international growth is number one we're going to make sure this brand is in every marketplace imaginable where it makes sense and it's profitable uh two would then be like either retail or wholesale and then kind of building that out and then even that could be a factor but then also it almost makes sense to me that some of these companies like yours would make sense and develop your own product launches and and skill sets because you're bringing such amazing minds together almost makes sense for you to develop your own product where you see a hole in the marketplace marketplace and and kind of go after it in that regard is that is that a fair assumption or is that something that's you have talked internally yeah so i, I think what's 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 super interesting is again like every every acquirer has almost I would say their different strengths like
1: some natural background is supply chain and I've read some incredible stories of that supply chain operations experience some are more uh, PPC, some are more you know branding. Like for us, the things that we focus on is localizing brands in Europe because one of the things we see is you know is, is managing translating you know, bullet points from the US and having them auto translated or translated through to the Germany often is, is actually very complicated because you having to localize the keywords. So for us, it's it's around localization and marketing. is a huge play uh, on back-end keywords, front-end bullet points, as well as just general marketing. Um, second to that is then localized PPC. Again, it's a whole new way of, of a, a whole new raft of PPC and keyword and, and 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 campaign structures in Germany, France, Italy, and Spain. And again, like how these campaigns are structured will vary because German German customers browse a lot more. So your ad spend, is, it could be way, way higher than, say, in... in, in in France or Italy, so for us, a big play is localizing brands in Europe, and we can do that just purely because we've got a team who speak the language. Um, so that, that's that's a, a first a first step. Um, I think in terms of you know the, the additional plays, like we love um, certainly new product development, right? So we've got a, 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 a the the, the per- in our team, we've got a guy who's a triple Amazon FBA seller, incredible entrepreneur. He's come in and, and it's helping us basically with new product launch and development again. Super hard to execute right. I can't stress that enough. It's like sourcing the right product, getting the right, you know, getting the PO in, marketing correctly, launching the product. It's super challenging. So again, for this role, we brought in a guy three times uh, to basically lead, lead this, lead this business for us. Um, and you know, again, we're, we're yes, we love adding new selection. Um, what I'm super excited about. And this is one we're looking at further down the line is, you know, incubating our own brands and, and really finding niches where we think we can, you know, we've seen perhaps a business that wasn't right for us. But actually, that's a really cool niche. Um, and, and we should we should look a um, look more broadly at that. So um, tons of areas. There are the obvious ones. You said there is obviously international expansion. But again, it's actually quite hard to do effectively. It's not easy. Um, you know, there, there's. Yeah. So um, I hope that answers your question. Yeah. So I'm, I'm rambling.
0: You're not rambling. I think I think there's a lot of components in the mixture. It's not as simple as throwing them into different different uh international marketplaces. It's it's a little bit tough to figure out each marketplace, like you said, localizing, making sure the listings are optimized depending on where you're selling. Um, one of my favorite episodes was talking through Japan and the PPC wherewithal of selling Japan, uh, knowing that there's four campaigns for every single one product is is somewhat mind-boggling to me to know that you have to speak four different languages just for one marketplace and and hit all those different components that make sense to that localized audience. But you're talking to a billion plus people, right? Uh, in Japan and uh, in Asia. But then there's also other components that I think is, is fascinating in the space too Is is that you said that all this talent is being acquired or this coming together and saying, hey, we actually have the wherewithal to build our own brands and kind of scale our own companies to a seller who's like maybe by themselves, that might be a scary thing because they're saying, Hey, all of a sudden there's all these major corporations that have these, uh, have the money, the power and the wherewithal to maybe take over a certain category or space. What do you, it's not as simple as just, there's only going to be 10 companies that are running Amazon marketplace, right? What what do you say to a, a seller? Who's saying there's still opportunity you can do it yourself we just happen to be doing it at scale and there's opportunity amassed throughout the world
1: yeah I think the, the, the really exciting thing about and the, the common challenge we had you know when we were raising trying to raise funding for this business was yeah but is like is Amazon really that big like is, is it actually that big the opportunity and I, sort of, I say so then we built this map of where Amazon was, was was actually operating and then also the emerging marketplace they were going to launch or had launched. So if you look at Europe, and I say, right, to a European seller, you know, or sorry, to a US seller, and you're looking to come to Europe, what are you thinking about? And often that is Germany. Great, Germany is an, is an obvious one. Um, and you might think pan-Europeans, and you think Germany, France, Italy, and Spain. But then now there's Poland, there's Sweden. There are a few others that I know that I'm not going to say because I shouldn't know, but they are coming on. Um, there's Turkey. Um, there are many, many marketplaces. We don't even sell on some of them. Like Turkey, none of our brands are on Amazon Turkey. I'd love to get them on there. But I think, you know, just looking just taking Amazon by itself, I think the market opportunity is huge. Um and 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 undoubtedly filled with there are it's it's complicated and it's not as easy as saying to I can watch a brand in Turkey. But um I think there's a huge opportunity outside of on, on, on the Amazon marketplace. I would say the feedback I've had, Ryan, from the gut my uh, the guys from the Old Sound who went to Prosper was there's such an exciting opportunity off Amazon and particularly on Walmart and kind of um, on, on your own channel and obviously we all know about this kind of brand referral programs and trying to push traffic back onto amazon so i think i'm super pumped after hearing what the guys are saying about the off amazon opportunity and you know it, it for us it's it's that, that is a whole new realm and, 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 and again something that we're, we can't wait to explore um so yeah amazon's huge but again like the off amazon part is also equally as exciting
0: so what's a marketplace that amazon might be missing right now is there is there one in the world that it's just a glaring gap right now in terms of where they should be and where there could be a potential crazy opportunity whether it be because there's amount of people or it's just the logistics don't match up yet or it's still emerging is there anything outside of like europe that that you think amazon might be missing currently
1: well, I, I I couldn't speak. Of, I'm sure. I'm sure the you know the 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 uh, the marketplace uh, uh, growth team is, is is looking very closely at in opportunities to, to launch in. aside from like regulatory barriers or you know blockers to scaling the logistics business, I think you know Poland is a really interesting one. And I'm really excited to see how Amazon Poland takes off because Allegro is is, is I've been reading the stats about their, in their largest marketplace, and it's absolutely amazing. And and, and I think. Um, you know, we are looking very closely our brands there and how, you know, we're, Battle Wars won there. Um, and um, so I think for, for Amazon Poland, it's a super exciting opportunity. Um, you know, I, I'm following Amazon Australia quite closely. Some of my old colleagues, they moved to Australia and helped launch the FBA business there a couple of years ago. And, um, you know, initially there was a lot of fanfare around what are these guys doing? Like it's an absolute flop. First Prime Day was, was not a success. Um, but again, I'm following that market really closely and, and we get contacted by quite a lot of Australian sellers. Um, you know who who are selling internationally but now selling in amazon.au so um again really really intrigued by that one um so look yeah the, the tons of tons of opportunity i i I'm, I'm super interested by the emerging the amazon the the emerging marketplaces singapore is a really interesting one um i know in southeast asia you know there are lots of aggregators cropping up there but the challenge for these guys is that they, these sellers trade across multiple marketplaces. You know, the Shopee, Lazada, there, there are many. It's a very fragmented ecosystem and Amazon is really quite a, not the main one. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated to see how that plays out. Um, so, yeah.
0: Do you ever think that the aggregator space will, I mean, we wouldn't call it aggregator that would be focused off of Amazon. Do you think that would ever emerge? Like you mentioned, a lot of these are on different marketplaces, whether it be on eBay, uh, being still very successful around Europe, as well as Australia um a bet uh or SPAC um southeast pacific uh, asian Mm -hmm. countries Mm -hmm. um do you ever think that one will be just like the establishing dominance of we want a brand that'll be off of amazon therefore we can grow maybe potentially even on amazon is that or almost like a reverse path if you will for a lot of the business models that we're seeing now so I had a really
1: interesting conversation with someone on exactly this question, they're very in the D2C space and the, the thing about acquiring direct consumer brands and I know there are companies out there trying to become the next X of you know, acquiring D2C brands, um, the challenge of acquiring D2C brands is that there's a ton of IT and back-end operational complexity that goes along with this. Um, that you kind of the more you move into the d2c space you realize just how much of the heavy lifting amazon does so let me just take one example right so we acquire a let's say we acquire a german d2c brand that trades across europe um and they trade in france and germany Italy, and spain for us then for that just one that one d2c site we have to then take care of essentially five different returns languages um five you know returns cross-border transaction problems um, we're dealing with, again, probably having different 3PLs in the five different jurisdictions and then five different VAT uh, uh, requirements. And then there's just so much complexity. We're um, then having to obviously then own these customers in the different geographies. And therefore, there are different customer acquisition and retention campaigns. It's really complicated. Um so I think you know. For, for, I think it's I think it's awesome. And I think you know, if you are focusing only in say one country, my understanding is that from an IT and operations perspective, it's a bit simpler. But our our head of IT, we we we, we spoke about this as a team. You know, when are we moving to DTC as a focus? And the, and the, and the challenge, the pushback was in Europe. There's just so much operational complexity of running that. And Europe is just better to kind of you know focus on focus on the Amazon's perspective for the time Since
0: since you work for Amazon, is it scary? Is it scary to rely on a majority of knowing that Amazon could potentially change the marketplace or the terms quite rapidly. And you've probably seen this firsthand. I know that's a frustration for lots of sellers trying to navigate the field. I know it's, Hey, play ball with the big boys. You have, it's just part of business. It's part of just ebbing and flowing with with these businesses. But at scale, is it difficult to kind of know that lots of your revenue is coming from a, a platform, if you will, that can change, Almost on a without any sort of notification, and you have to all of a sudden switch out either inventory levels out of fast pace, um, uh, trying to figure out if your listening is shut down. There's no like continuity, which it seems um, that you can predict or plan for, as as well as one want may want to. Yeah.
1: Yes. You know, I, I think when I, when I was
0: working there, Ryan, like I had it. Right I, I, heard, I, heard, I heard it in your voice, man. I heard it. it. it, was it like, it's, it's a yeah.
1: fear. It's, you know, I, I told, I, again, I sort of went into this, I told Ollie, I was like, my biggest worry here is, 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 you know, is actually what could happen with our brands that we acquire and someone they could just get shut down. Like, you know, we, we, I, I manage businesses, Ryan, and, and some of these were pretty large and they were tough turned off overnight. Um, and, you know, I spoke with sellers, some sellers who were literally crying. To me uh, on the phone and you know it was our job internally to understand what was the reason why did it happen how you're meant to basically resolve it and you know i've seen i've seen the really ugly side of this and it's super challenging so yes going into this business you should be com- completely aware um, that it is a beast you're dealing with and it is black and white there is no gray and sometimes, you know, they might perceive you're white as black and something you find yourself penalized for something that you didn't even think was wrong. Um, so internally, we have a we have a wiki in all in, in, in that has all the things essentially that, you know, could happen. And if they do happen, why does it happen and what to do? That we just know from experience. Um, so uh, yes, to your point, I, I've seen the ugly side of it and I'm acutely aware of it. To be honest, it hasn't happened yet, but it will happen when something really, really bad happens and we have to deal with that. So it makes me even more team to focus on the off amazon opportunity as quickly as possible for the brands where it's relevant right so you know as i said to you i'm super excited by the walmart opportunity um, <laughs> and, and the off amazon opportunity um, because the reality is if you are fully dependent on this marketplace um, you are exposed and uh, and 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 it's, it's quite risky
0: um, so yeah to- totally agree well i've heard i've heard even a lot of even in the aggregator space are out looking at solely dependent on Amazon, which I I find fascinating. But the other concept, and I like to think of this in economics in general, how long are you expecting a product or brand to be relevant in a marketplace like Amazon? Because let's say, for example, you know, you see the fidget spinner, you see it's iterated. It's this wave of great revenue and growth It lasts maybe a year or two. Then you'll see it peter out. It's not really as big or as dominant or as trendy as it might once be. What's kind of the expectation for you or your internal team to to think like, hey, this product has a shelf life of uh, maybe if it's in this category, it's a shelf life of three years. Maybe we need to iterate it or change it up or bring another or, you know, is there an expectation for that or is that just kind of business as general?
1: You know, I I think this is a really interesting, really interesting question. Like the cyclicality of brands on Amazon is one that we watch very closely. And in some categories, typically the categories we, we, we wouldn't really invest in, there is a, a life cycle of a brand. And um, typically this is because the barrier to entry for that particular sub-niche is, is, very, is, quite, is very low. So you'll have fierce competition um, to, to, to basically launch and rank a product. Um, so when we look, at, we look at brands we've acquired, we, we look at how long-term, how sustainable is that position long-term? And there are various ways we can quantify that and you know qualify that, but I totally agree. I think where you know where you make the wrong acquisitions is where you suddenly find you know a brand that was once you know top of a BSR rank for its sub niche is suddenly finding market share erosion month on month, day on day. They're just losing sales because it's just it's just it's just how fierce the competition is on Amazon. So I think that is probably the biggest risk with this business model. And I think you need to be very careful about what sub niches you target, because the most popular ones—I'm going to say one for example—consumer electronics. It's so fiercely intense, and it's really hard to maintain a, a, a category position. For I mean, we've seen brands go for like a month, three months, a year, and then they just peter off. Um, so I think you know, I think a brand like Anchor, Anchor is an exception, and it's extremely hard to sort of build a brand like that. So. Um, yeah, that's a really interesting topic. We talk a lot about that.
0: So is, is there a, another sort of conversation to be had around maybe not not just off Amazon, but in general, what you're acquiring in just the iterations that could potentially come from that brand, like what it represents, right? You can have a, a home I'm not sure all the brands that you guys acquire and I'm not sure if that's like public knowledge, but is that maybe why you're starting to see the emerging markets for specific, like for intrinsic, for example, like that that's a name that specifically is focusing on, and they're an aggregator company, as you may know, they're only focusing on health and wellness. And that's because they've worked with other sorts of products out there in the retail space. That's their bread and butter. We know for a fact that as different comes come to market, we can actually put our hat on that and say, that this is who we represent for your health and wellness come talk to us because we know how to grow those and iterate those. Is that maybe where you're going to start to see lots of different companies move towards either like either a specific niche focus or say, Hey, we're good at taking your brand, putting it into Walmart, um, retail, um, or just growing it on Amazon. Or are you going to see, we'll take everyone approach and that's kind of, you know, iterate and grow from there. And, and that's where they live. It, is there, I won't say there's a the right way to do it is there a way that you kind of forecast this this space going maybe
1: yeah i th- i think the space will evolve depending on what sellers value and my my view is and, and my long-term view is that as this ecosystem develops as cost p- CPCs and advertising continue to increase i think sellers long-term will place a higher value on the off-Amazon expertise and the off-Amazon potential of the business for a couple of reasons. One is long-term sustainability of revenues, but two, really, it's often an area that's more complex uh, and, and perhaps an area that sellers haven't really managed to explore. And my personal view is, and this is just one for us, is that you know that's an area we're going to invest in because I think that's a highly valuable position to tell a seller we have deep expertise in Walmart, deep expertise in, in retail with Target and a few other, you know, large uh, large retailers in the US. It's very hard to build that skill set in house if you have it. it's very valuable. I think you know the the idea of targeting sub niches I, I think it's an interesting one and to be honest, do I think sellers value that? Probably I think some probably will. I think to be honest as long as a seller is as long, as long as an acquirer is operationally very capable of supply chain at PPC at branding, I think right now there's no urgent demand for that. however, Again, as I said, I think the acquirers and the specialisms that acquirers market are going to be very much driven by sellers. And I think it would be so interesting to see in Prosper next year, what like what are sellers talking about as being like the key, you know, the key value driver. And I, I think it's going to be off Amazon is where I think the big focus will be. Um, and so that for us is a, is a big, uh, big focus.
0: How important is it for partnerships for a company like yours to not just have to build it from scratch, but Having to rely on expertise of like other businesses out there, uh, whether it's like uh, translations or um, any sort of like localization or uh, copywriting, is it is it easier to rely on partnerships or would you rather have all that in house and and know your team is all on the same page in that regards?
1: Yeah, um, you know, good question. I think that we have we've had some fantastic experiences working with third parties, uh, and as I said to you at the beginning of the call. know this whole this proliferation of of aggregators has meant there has been almost like a professionalization of service service offerings and i think there are some great third parties out there we've had not superb experiences in the past with some um but i think you know for for some areas um like for example um you know uh uh, returns handling and and refunds and things like this uh, and and kind of um reimbursements amazing services out there that's not something we do in house but fantastic um again usually any areas with a customer we like to keep in house a so customer service we like to internalize it. anyone who communicates with our customers we like to own that relationship um where possible um but for sure so some areas we, we we use some great third parties um but i still i think there's a long way to go i think there are still opportunities to plug uh, to plug niches and what i've heard from prosper is there's, there's a service for pretty much every every sort of possible uh problem you face um so uh, yeah, well, uh, I know David from our team, he came back with a huge list of amazing tools and, and people he spoke to that we should be connecting with. Um, so I'm all for it. I, I think partnerships are fantastic. And I think in this industry, they're so important because people talk a lot, they like to network, they like to share ideas. And to be honest, like, yeah, we're, we're all for that. And we love speaking to specialists.
0: What's your what's your pitch to an, uh, an entrepreneur to start on Amazon even nowadays? Is it Do you, have, do you still talk to people who are you have a day to day conversation with maybe that says i don't know if i if amazon's the right place for us to grow what what's that conversation like for you and how are you selling the amazon experience still even till this day as as prices to enter are are going up for brands is there is there a conversation and there's what, what are you telling people
1: I'll put on my hat from my Amazon days, and you're, you're a seller. Um, no, I think um, the the reality is is that you know the marketplace is so big, it's constantly expanding. You know all the all the numbers, and we're going to sort of regurgitate them to you. But there's always a sub niche that you can plug, and um, the customer base is so broad and so vast that there's always an opportunity and a customer right for you. Um, you know, I would say that. And and it's quite funny because our team, they look at so many interesting opportunities. But we sometimes we chat after work and we think like, oh, what would I do if I was a seller? What product would I sell? And we've got tons of ideas. Um, I would say, you know, as a seller joining now, list down the things that you're great at and list down the things you're really bad at and you don't enjoy. And I would say for all the ones that you're not very good at, outsource to someone who's better who, who's, who, who's a professional and I think principally for me anyway that was supply chain so supply chain have a have a have a va or someone who's fantastic at supply chain to help you with that function and then I would say you know find a find a really niche in a sub niche and there are there are lots um and then you know come up with a brand you've seen typically in d2c or in retail and um essentially try and emulate that and, and that, that that's that's what I did with my brand um but I think, you know, think about as a seller and, and as, as a, as a first time entrepreneur entering this space is longer term, like you ultimately want to exit this business So think about what you need to do in order to build that. And there's a whole world, there are lots of podcasts on what to do in that respect. But um, do think about the long term success of, of the brand and, and how you can make it defensible um, in the long term? S-
0: since you spoke about branding, I, I've asked this a couple of times to people, but I don't know if I've asked a person who's in charge of, you know, aggregation in, in general, how important is a brand that puts puts like a lot of emotion or puts the face of an individual as part of that brand? Is that, is that valuable to a brand in your eyes or is that something that you can't replicate internally? So if you were to purchase that brand, if I'm a seller and I know for a fact, like if I'm Ryan's uh, hardware store or something like that and I have a really good selection of products, But they know that my name is tied to it my face is on the brand or logo or whatever that might be it would be a terrible idea but uh for example purposes um what would be kind of your thought around that is that something that sellers should maybe separate themselves from or should they more if that is that valuable to even a business like yours
1: do you know it's i i have very strong views on this because like my my personal opinion is um, you know, customers, aside from reviews, um, which is obviously a key, a key driver, customers buy the why of your product, not the what. So if you're a seller, Ryan's, you know, you're Ryan's spatulas, and I'm old Sam's spatula, um, and I am just there is no why behind my story, but your why is you are a budding chef who came up with this amazing brand to you know deal with the problem you face and you grind it really hard and then you you know, launched your own restaurant, and these are the products you created with your own restaurant. That story speaks so much more than mine. And so I think with, with sellers, build a brand about you and why you. So for example, we came we came across a, a business that they made loo roll for RVs, um, and um, it was literally paper toweling. But the story behind the why, and who they were, husband and wife, kids, traveling, you know, digital nomads. I was like, this is sick. I love this story. I told Ollie, I was like, I want this, I want this brand. These guys are awesome entrepreneurs. Customers love them because whilst it was just blue roll, sorry, uh, you yeah, know, a t- toilet roll, um, you know, customers were like, great story, love the founders, like amazingly soft paper. Was it any softer? I mean, like it was soft, but I don't know if it was any softer. Um, so the why is so important. And, you know, we, we work with entrepreneurs where they've slightly gone... No, I think it's more about the quality of the product, and it's more about just like telling the customer what it is, which is true. But never underestimate the story of who you are and how you got the brand to where it is, because it's seriously hard, and customers really, really value it. Um, so, yeah, my personal opinion is yes, it matters so much.
0: So, how do you how do you put a a price point on that? It, like, because they're no longer me operating, right? It would be you. Yeah. What do you. How do you quantify something as? difficult as maybe like a a feeling that you get when you purchase a product uh because the story you know it's quantum it's it's unquantifiable there's no metric that says like it does better than charmin or any other sort of like name brand out there um Mm -hmm. like you said all these you know Lou roll or whatever that might be Uh, that was slight to your brother but uh just what, what what's how do you quantify that in terms of measuring how that's going to Factor in your payout or your your terms or just your growth to your board or anything like that. You're like, hey, I really felt that like this has a quantifiable metric. Don't know what that is, but yeah. trust us in that regards. Does that make sense?
1: I, you know, I I think the just a couple of points to unpack there. I think my first point around just like the value of a defensible story and narrative is is can't be undervalued. So for us, you know, that value would probably place. Yeah in the longer term of you know where we can take this product, what new markets can we take this product to, where else will customers connect with this brand? So yes, it would attract a high multiple. And to be honest, we did bid very highly on this brand, but someone else loved it even more than us. So they took it over us, but it's doing well, I'm great to see. Um, but I think you know that the, the other question I would love to get your view on this is you know and a common challenge we get is if you take these passionate owners these founders out of a brand does it take away the soul the heart of the brand or the business like can you actually execute and grow the business without them? And well, I don't, Ryan, I've got yeah. T- what, what do you think?
0: If you're asking my thoughts, uh, well, I I think it depends on how involved the founders are, right? Or how maybe involved they are afterwards i i'm trying to think of some exciting because when you think of certain brands you might think of individuals right and that's and that's a good thing if they're selling the likeness of their story i think you can i think a lot of people like the story behind the founders um and what it represents right at, at the core like i think a lot of people don't think like hey this person's going door to door to sell these products but i think the basis of if you can at the heart of everything you do honor that kind of that thought process behind it. I don't know. I guess it depends on the company and growth because if, if let's say, let's say worst case scenario, this brand gets put on the desk of somebody out of college or a new account manager, and they're going to be running the growth. Is that person going to care as much as that individual when they were growing from nothing all the way to something? Probably not. It's not matched. But if you have, if you're cultivating a, an environment where everyone's on the same page and it's your due diligence to represent them moving forward, I, th- I think you can to to a factor, a degree. I don't think it'd be 100%, but I think if if that is at the mindset of what you're doing, I know people have stayed away from those brands because it is difficult to do. But if you understand where they're coming from and then you know the story and how that can grow, I, I think you could potentially do that um, as long as you keep that at the forefront of what you're doing, if, whether it's all eco-friendly products or, hey, our daughter had cancer and now this a portion of these proceeds go to cancer research or something like that. I've seen a lot of brands put money back into what makes them passionate why they do these products. Um, so I think if you can cultivate that growing forward, I or going forward, I should say, I, I think that could be replicated to a degree and and still build on that brand. So if that answers your question that would be my personal opinion
1: yeah no i think i think i think depends on it depends on the category and the the subcategory i think some require such a niche understanding and specialism that i I just couldn't possibly tell the seller that our our team could take that on and manage it within three months like i just don't think it's possible um but i think some and especially in our team and when our other acquirers are structured you can you can if you build the right mentality and you make the, the brand managers almost like you know CEOs of these brands, and, and you reward and incentivize in the right way. I do think it's possible. Um, and I tell you, and we have the sellers come in here, and the sellers tell these brand managers their story. We have like face-to-face meetings here, and they, and and these brand and these, and these brand managers meet these owners, and you see the passion they have. It's infectious, and actually, you know, they work very closely for a period, like hand over a handover period. And then, obviously, you know, depending on how the deal structured, it might be you know they step back, but. That's what we found works really well: bringing the two parties together and just seeing this owner be like, "I've got this idea, this idea. Like, you need to do this. Like, it it is it is possible." Um, so,
0: yeah. Well, sometimes I think too. Maybe Amazon isn't the maybe Amazon's not the place that you build that brand. Right? You're talking about the exciting natures of building a direct to consumer brand, whether it's off their own website or even just just telling that story into different marketplaces. Branding on Amazon has always made it has been fascinating to me because if I'm a consumer and I'm just looking for a solution, am I going to search for that brand? Probably not. But the awareness comes after the fact. They know that once you buy that product, that's where brand recognition really kicks in. I think um, beginning if you're driving lots of people like Anchor, for example, like that's a name brand that lots of people obviously know that. They don't know it stemmed from amazon but they know what that represents and know where you can go to purchase it they built that off of on their own websites now um it, it all it all kind of just ties to the the title but branding's hard on amazon i would think i think it's very difficult um i've heard people like kevin king for example um who's fantastic at branding and growing fantastic businesses on Amazon. And he touts, you know, once you get to a certain functionality and search volume for your brand, then, you know, you've actually made it in terms of your brand has been successful on Amazon. So I, I think that there's a component of that. And in, instead of like toilet paper, you're looking at like Ollie's toilet paper roll or something like that. I think that's very fascinating in terms of what that metric actually means to people searching for that specifically on Amazon versus what it represents in terms of the feeling and wherewithal and what the company represents. I, I do, I, I completely agree with you, I do. So yeah, with that being said, Sam, so what what's kind of the next part of this year? I know we've already talked an hour and I told you it, it breezed by and I would talk to you all day about phil- philosophical nature of Amazon and uh, building brands, but what's kind of the next part of the year look like for you and your team? Is it more acquisitions? Is it just focusing on what we have here going forward? What, what What's kind of the core focus on? what you guys want to do and achieve for the rest of 2021.
1: Yeah. So look, this year is a really exciting one. I think, you know, we, we have some really exciting news we're going to be sharing very soon. Um, uh, with, Anything with the- you can drop <laughs> today? Uh, no, no, I can't share it today. Um, but, um, but 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 then in terms of, you know, we've got a couple more acquisitions we're looking at doing, um, some, more, uh, some more sizable transactions. But to be honest, Ryan, you know, I think Amazon sellers are facing cost pressures at every single angle, you know, you've got container ships the containers are out of control now um you've got you know the the inventory performance index scores that to be honest, make it so difficult to grow the bits of grow brands um, we're dealing with you know raw material price increases we're dealing with you know q4 surcharge rates and storage there's tons of cost pressures so our focus is executing on an amazing q4 um and finally honing in on our on our platform that we're building to make to make this running these seamlessly, um, super important for us. Um, whilst, yeah, so tons tons going on, um, but uh, super exciting. And uh, I've loved I've loved talking with you, and uh, hope, hope hope it's been a an informative fun session.
0: It's been fanta- it's been oh, yeah, fantastic, I man. That. So well, I guess my little final question for you is: How did Ollie get the first part of the name uh, awesome? Uh, <laughs> how, how, how did he forth. negotiate that with you? We went
1: back and forth, it was literally, you know, I sort of thought, actually, oh, did that. But Samuel, Samuel was taken, uh, unfortunately. So it was, uh, yeah, I had to go with to old Sam, but he, he's very happy he's gone, I could take that for free.
0: I was gonna say, yeah, for a family for a family that works together to put both of your names on it, that, that's pretty <laughs> awesome. So that, we're talking about personal branding and there we go. You even put your yeah. stamp of approval on it, but put your yeah. name literally and figuratively into the business, so that's awesome, Samuel. It's a family business yeah well that, that's exactly so i was gonna say is it just you two or is there another brother that or a sister that we're leaving out of this business that's not we have we have we have actually I'm, I'm one of five brothers so there's a couple of others really who
1: are, yeah who, who are looking to get involved <laughs> i told them like there's enough risk as it is don't come in uh but no, no they're, they're uh that yeah we got many brothers in our family so it's um yeah but they're all they're all eagerly trying to see how they can you know get in
0: throw them in a warehouse, do some manual labor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Or talk to some pliers or whatnot. So, Hey man, thanks so much for hopping on today. And it's been fantastic. I'm excited to see, like I said, a lot, a lot of news in this space in terms of like acquisitions and money being raised. I think that's just a, a just the beginning, if you will, of what what's to be saying. And I think innovation is, is super key in the space. I know you guys are working on that and you found kind of this nice little sweet spot working in Europe and then obviously brands in the United States. Um, So I'm excited to see where you and the team kind of move forward from here.
1: Definitely. Can't wait. Can't wait.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much, Sam, for uh, hopping on today and uh, we'll catch you next time on Crossover Commerce. Thanks, guys. Yep, no problem. And then everyone, thank you so much for hopping in. I'm going to get rid of that. There you go. I always do this every time when I want to move on to the next uh, graphic, if you will. Hey, it's hard to produce and do interviewing all in one, but we're gonna get there. You think I would have it down by episode 132? But sometimes my trigger is just not, or my finger is not quick enough to select the next graphic. But what do you think, everyone? What, what's kind of your expertise and your, or I should say, thoughts on the aggregator space? What do you think it's um, going to be in the next six months, year or so? If you had conversations at Prosper, at any of these events, what? was those conversations like, are you more apt to sell your business to an aggregator or work with a broker? What's kind of your thoughts? I would love to hear uh, what you think in the comment section, uh, whether it's on the audio audio side uh, with downloads, or if you're on the video side, you can put those in the comment section. So go ahead and drop those in there. Love to hear your thoughts. And of course, I forgot to ask Sam directly, but you can go ahead and check out awesome in their group um, at Awesome. Uh, awesome group.com. so make sure you check them out that's gonna be in the comments and the show notes as well so if you ever check them out look at their background who's working with them and what kind of uh, opportunities that might exist with them go ahead and check that out as well so with that being said this is crossover commerce this is episode 132 a family affair building brands and taking them to the next level thank you so much sam uh and his team for hopping on crossover commerce and we'll go ahead and catch you guys next time on another episode of crossover commerce Take care.